We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Jesse, I've got one thing to ask you, of course. Are you ready for rapid fire? You know, I've been thinking about rapid fire all day, so I think we should get started. I'm glad it's occupied a, uh, a good place in your brain today. <laughs> so maybe it's because the weather is is uh, getting a little bit better outside. I can see a little sunshine out your window, and we've got it out ours here today. Fill in the blank on this first one. After Notre Dame went 9-4, and four, Last season, and of course that includes a bowl win, the nine, with Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner at quarterback. It's blank that their current Las Vegas over-under win total for the season is eight and a half. It's outrageous that the Vegas over-under has the win total for this season at 8.5, especially if you're considering um, a potential bowl matchup as well. And I'll tell you why, because Notre Dame has gotten better, in my opinion, every aspect or every facet um of the game or of their game so you know on offense they they're seeing an upgrade obviously at quarterback and sam hartman someone who is far more experienced and has more skill uh than than pine and tyler buckner and then you look at the weapons around him i think you're going to see an obvious upgrade um at the wide receiver position in terms of production the running back room is with estimate and, and company is going to be um, I think, if not the same, a little bit better this season because Sam Hartman is going to naturally improve the run game with a bigger threat um, in the pass game. The offensive line, I think, is still going to be very well. And then we flip over to the defensive side of the ball. I think the defensive line is going to have a ton of depth this season. The linebackers are going to have more experience playing in a, in a defense, you know, a second year under Al Golden. And then the secondary is going to be another bright spot um, for the team. So I think they get better at every position. Um, I don't think they regress at any position and the most important position, obviously quarterback, they're taking a big step. So I just find it outrageous. There's no way, in my opinion, unless something goes wrong, um, that, that, that win total should be at eight and a half. See, and the quarterback thing is why you would expect this would at least a bump up to like nine and a half this year right. instead of eight and a half, because again, you're going from Drew Pine, the majority of the season. Tyler Buckner, three games of the season, beginning and end. They went eight and four during the regular season. So we should actually, you know, just drop off number nine because the, the eight and a half only pertains to the 12 games during the regular season, not the bowl game. So, you know, technically, if you're Vegas, 
they were eight and four. So, you know, what, what they're saying is, are they going to have the same record or worse? Or are they going to be one win better? And, you know, just like last year, it should come down to three games. They won one the of the three games. pretty equal yeah, as well. That's exactly right. You know, they won one of the three last year. And the three, of course, being, you know, the Clemson that they won. They lost USC. They lost Ohio State. Two close games. So to me, you know, because again, I know everyone wants to yell Notre Dame bias and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But this is Las Vegas. You know, like the, the Vegas guy, like the, the lines don't have bias because their only mission in Vegas is what? To make money on both sides of the line, right? So right. to me, you know, when you when you look at the massive upgrade you're going to have at quarterback with Sam Hartman this year and all the other stuff that you outlined there, this has to have more to do with Vegas questioning Marcus Freeman as a head coach, I think. Wouldn't you? You know, because like... Yeah, it, basing it off it of that boils down to They lost to Marshall and Stanford last year. And so it seems like Vegas has questions about... Is Marcus Freeman, the, you know, the, the kind of head coach that can win the games that he's supposed to win? And I agree with that because I, I do think that it, it comes down to is is Marcus Freeman going to take the step as a head coach? Is he going to eliminate the games that he shouldn't know that, that he lost last year that he shouldn't lose again this year? So obviously being, you know, Marshall and Stanford. Is he going to have repeat mulligans this year? Is he going to lose to one or two potential teams right. that, he, that, he, that he shouldn't lose to? Yeah, exactly. Is he going to slip up again? You know, again, massive slip up. You know, I think even more so Stanford than Marshall. You can forgive maybe Marshall, you know, a little bit game two, you know, still breaking in a quarterback, all that stuff, even though Marshall did not turn out to be good. You know, they, they obviously – you know, they they uh, they peaked with Notre Dame. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It didn't last very long. Everyone was like, "Ooh, high on Marshall now." After that win over name, Notre Dame, didn't last long. That was a horrible win or a horrible loss. Stanford was a horrible loss. <clears throat> what I was saying, you can kind of forgive Stanford maybe a little bit more. It's like you get one of those early in the season, but then Stanford, man, you know that's where you know again, like you thought you had the corner turned. Really though. When you look at how the season ended, you know, even though they didn't play as well as they could have against USC, it was still a quality opponent. They beat a solid, fairly evenly matched SEC opponent in South Carolina. So they were at least trending in the right direction. But I just, you know, again, eight and a half when you've got the quarterback with the most touchdown passes and wins in college football on your team this season, it seems like this has to have more to do with who the head coach is than who the quarterback is or, or anyone out there on the field this season. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fill in the blank. It's blank that Notre Dame has discontinued its long-running interhall tackle football program due to declining numbers and a high number of participants who had no prior organized tackle football experience before playing in the interhall league. To me, it's lame that Notre Dame is discontinuing the interhall tackle football program. Um, and I, I think that uh, it, it can't really... You know, it's lame that they're they're canceling it, but I don't necessarily know what they can do when you have declining numbers. Um, and, you know, obviously students who have never played prior tackle football before. But I think that is what drew a lot of these people in is, you know, you, you're at a university where football is considered its top sport, its top program. Um, and I think a lot of people are like, hey, I've never played football before, um, but they might know a lot about football or maybe yeah. we're uh, not what's the word, maybe a little timid, a little scared, because I mean, obviously Notre Dame is a high academic institution. And so you have a lot of people who maybe didn't focus a lot of their time in high school to playing, you know, sports or, or tackle football, or maybe they played, you know, soccer, cross country, baseball, whatever it might be. And so, you know, you can't really control what the enrollment gives you, but I think it's just lame because the program and the, the teams have been around for so long at Notre Dame. It's a long standing tradition uh, that goes on at the university. So I just, it, it sucks that it, it potentially has to come to an end because I feel like it's just one of those, uh, like many things in Notre Dame is a big tradition thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's exactly it. It really stinks because like, I remember, you know, moving here 20 plus years ago and it's like, wow, Notre Dame, like not only do they have an intramural program, they have a tackle football program. Yeah. Most you know? places you're going to, it's just going to be flag football. Yeah, exactly. And that is actually kind of what it sounds like is replacing it because you've got overall numbers dropped. Six years ago, they had 370 participants to this year. Apparently they had 269. So it's dropped by about a hundred in a six year stretch. And, and there's like what 17, I think male residence halls over at Notre Dame, you know? So like when you, when you do the math on that, if you've got like 269, overall and you've got um you've that would give you around like you know if you're going to have 30 <laughs> players per team that's about nine teams that you could field so that's almost half the resident you know so they're already probably were combining residence halls whereas you know in the past each residence hall probably had its own team but again when you look at almost half of the people who were playing had never played organized tackle football before i mean that's you know like you, you you grew up playing tackle football so this was a problem you never had you know but like trying to ensure safety i would think has got to be a, a bit of an issue when you've got that many people who have never played any level of tackle football before and you know let's be honest it's much easier for someone who hasn't played football to play on a flag team you know, just like it's easier for someone who hasn't played baseball before to play on a beer league softball team. You know, it's like it's just 
it's they're similar sports, but they're different. There's no contact, you know, really in in flag football, and that seems to be where uh, where the numbers are going. A forty per forty two percent increase in flag football participation, while you've got a, a, a you know a declining number in the tackles. Well, thirty percent is what I came up with in my head. Yeah, so I mean, it just it stinks because of the long running tradition, how long this has been around, but. You know, I think these numbers also kind of mimic what's going on really across the country as well. You've got fewer people, you know, fewer guys playing tackle football in high schools as well. The numbers there are dwindling as all, you know, stuff comes out about concussions and, you know, just the risk of different injuries and, you know, all these different things. So it stinks because it had been a tradition at Notre Dame for so long. You know, maybe maybe they'll miss it in a few years and someone will try to bring it back. But it, it's, you know, and I remember like when we'd be over there, you know, doing like uh, media, you know, like in October, you know, we'd be interviewing players and stuff like that. And you'd see some of the guys out there with their full pads and football pants carrying their helmets, you know, back back after practice and stuff like that. It's like, a you know, misting and in October in South Bend. That was just always kind of cool to see those guys. It stinks we won't be able to see that anymore. So the ACC and the Big Ten are ditching divisions this year. Do you buy or sell? It will make those conferences more interesting. That's a big buy for me um, because when you separate conferences into divisions, ultimately the, the divisions – it's basically two conferences within the same conference because the divisions really ultimately play only their divisions. There might be like a game or two crossover. And then obviously you, you'll play each other in the big 10 or ACC championship, depending on who comes out um, of each division. And so why I like that is I think you get more diversity in the schedule and you get teams playing each other that haven't really been playing each other as much over the years. Like you'll see, you know, it, it, it's just not going to be the same Penn state, Michigan state, Ohio state, Michigan all playing each other out for the bloody side of the East and compared to a weaker West. um, And then ultimately you're going to see a better big 10 championship game um, overall, because it no longer just does the team on the West get an automatic bid into the championship. Um, And so I I just think it makes for a better, um, a better schedule overall. You know, you're going to, you're going to see more teams play each other within the conference. And then I think it it ultimately will, will yield um, a better, you know, conference championship as well, because you're not just giving a spot to a team that played in the wet, the weaker side of the, or, you know, the conference. And that's, that's ultimately what the big 10 comes down to. I mean, look at the big 10 championship the last couple of years and watching Michigan wax, you know, whoever was came out of the West. And that's a, that's a large, that's a predominant pattern through the big 10 over the years is typically the East stomps the West and the West right. has no reason belonging in the big 10 championship. And that's obviously the ultimate goal of this whole thing is to get better matchups in the conference championship game. So like you might get Ohio state versus Michigan twice, or, you know, Penn state might. Yeah. No longer is Northwestern or Iowa sneaking in there. Exactly. And that's, you know, for those schools, it, you know, ultimately the, you know, the, the entire season might not be as interesting, but at least like you said, the consolation prize is at least the schedule is going to be a little bit fresher. You're going to start to see some, you know, some different teams on a more regular basis. I think it's like every four years is supposed to, you know, you're supposed to play, I think, every team a home and home in every four-year period, you know. So, you know, like 
for the for the ACC, you know, for both of them, really, their goal was to get the two best teams in the conference championship game. And that also gives them the best chance to get multiple teams in the college football playoff, especially now that the playoff is going to be expanding next year, you know, so that'll help. But like for the immediate future, you know, again, it's like Ohio State, Michigan, you know, the, the race is basically going to be. Can anyone knock one of those two teams? I was going to say, so do you think game? that with the current, I mean, with the playoff expanding, I don't think this is going to be a too big of an issue, but if we had this current, you know, big 10, no longer divisions five years ago, do you think that it would penalize someone like Michigan, Ohio state say, you know, Michigan beats them in the regular season and then goes on to beat them again in the, in the reg in the championship. Now you have two losses to the same team. Would that right. have penalize them? You know what I mean? Because, you have two losses technically, but it's to the same opponent who ultimately is also going to the playoff. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a really good point. You know, you're you're going to have probably more of that or that, you know, at best case scenario, you're going to split. Well, not best case. Best case is you go two and oh, if you're right. one of those two teams. But, you know, for for like the chances of your conference, I guess, best case is you're going to split. But yeah, you're at, you're absolutely right. If it were around five years ago, it definitely would have hurt one of the, you know, like one of those two teams. So I wonder if that, that plays high. a part of it in the playoff expansion. Are they more comfortable with it? Because knowing that, you know, uh, what is, is it, is it a 12 team format? I, yeah. I, see, but it's going to, you know, you're going to have at large bids anyway. It's, right. I think it's the six conference champions are guaranteed spots. And then the rest are going to at large bids. So I think if you have to play a team twice, you know, then the question is going to be like, you know, did you split? If you go zero and two, obviously, if you lose another game beyond those, you, you're not making a very, you know, you're not going to make a good case for yourself. But how close and how competitive were those two games? But I think that you're definitely still going to be in the conversation, even if you lose two games. You know, as potentially being like the eleven or twelve seed right. kind of thing. You know, the ACC they just want to get. Some kind of good game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the ACC know. is even more lopsided than the Big Ten most of the time. The only time it was pretty fair is when Notre Dame joined the conference for a yeah. year. Exactly. And, you know, and that was they they went with that system that year. And that's you know you got Clemson or Notre Dame playing in the conference championship game, and really it's it wasn't the best conference championship game, but in terms of the way that season played out, it was probably. You know, even though it was played COVID conditions and all that different kind of stuff, it's probably the, the best, one of the better regular seasons the ACC's had in a while because they had Notre Dame in there. Right. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, because it's basically been, you, you, you could pretty much all but guarantee Clemson was going to, you know, end up winning their division and then who was going to come out of the other division to play him. I, I think – it's definitely going to be much more competitive for those two spots in the ACC than it probably is in the Big Ten. Because, again, Big Ten, it's like the season's going to start with Michigan and Ohio State. And then can Penn State beat one of them? Can Iowa, you know, like Wisconsin, can can one of these other teams end up sneaking in there and, and knock one of them out? Speaking of uh, conferences and schedules and all that kind of stuff, the SEC released its 2024 football, not their schedule, but their opponents. Here's what Texas and Oklahoma's first slates are going to look like in their first season in the SEC next year, of course, 2024. Texas is going to have Florida, 
Georgia, Kentucky, and Mississippi State at home. They're going to be at Arkansas, at Texas A&M, at Vanderbilt, and of course a neutral site game with Oklahoma. As for Oklahoma, they get the neutral site game with Texas. They'll also play Alabama, South Carolina, Tennessee at home. They will travel to Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, Missouri. What do you think of those two uh, schedules? Welcome to the SEC, Texas and Oklahoma. That's kind of exactly my answer. (laughs) What I think of these schedules are, welcome to the SEC. This is what you asked for. Are you going to sink or swim in this first season? Because you look at both of these schedules. I mean, Texas has Florida, Georgia. Um, I, I want to assume Texas A&M will be in a better place by 2024. Mississippi State is always, you know, a pretty solid team. Um, Arkansas is no pushover these days. I mean, the, I guess you could say the weaker. I mean, Kentucky too. Kentucky's not a pushover. And it's, uh, you know, Texas and Oklahoma obviously is a long, long-standing rivalry. I mean, if you look at that, to me, Vanderbilt and Kentucky are, are the games I guess you, you're you most looking forward to. But even those, I'm not like, Wow, these are these are pushovers. I mean, this is a uh-huh. tough schedule, and it is it is way uh, way different than uh, than the Big Twelve. Ooh. I have to say, and then you, you go on Man. to you know Oklahoma, and it's like you got Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, all really hard teams. South Carolina was good last year. Missouri is the only team on that schedule. Where I'd be like, oh, okay, I feel pretty good about this one, but I just feel like both of these teams are quickly going to realize that uh, maybe they bit off a little bit more than they can chew. And I, I know it's not the program itself. It's the universities wanting to, you know, make the change. But yep. I think it's going to be a rough transition uh, with these first years, uh, you know, first year SEC schedules, because looking at both of those, majority of those opponents are tough and they are not going to be, it, it is just not going to be what it was like in the big 12. I saw Brian Curtis from the ringer tweet this last night when he saw it. And this is a great point. Texas, you know, like Penn state, we talked last week when we predicted the Penn State, what, what Penn State is going to do this season. They've been in the Big Ten for 30 years, and they are the only team in the Big Ten that did not protect a game. Like, they have no protected rivalry games, you know, as the Big Ten goes to its new format next year. So they've been out there for, you know, 30 years, no rivalries they've developed, you know, to speak of, I guess, you know, that they want to keep around anyway in the big 10. And that's typically what happens. You, you know, like you switch conferences, whatever, and you say goodbye to some of your rivals, just like Missouri said goodbye to Kansas and Kansas state. And of course, Texas A&M said goodbye to Texas and in, in some of those schools, Texas is, is the opposite. They're going to get to play Arkansas and Texas A&M, which are two old traditional rivalries from them. Like going back to the Southwestern conference Days They're actually going to get to reunite with some old rivals by changing conferences. That doesn't happen very often, that you change conferences and you and actually you get to face new rivals. rivals. Yeah, you get to face, you know, like those old rivals as a result. I but, forgot you know, about how much that Texas and Arkansas matchup used to be yeah. back in the day. Yeah, back in the Daryl Royal days. And yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, the other interesting thing, of course, is how the SEC – you know, subtly, maybe not so subtly, Texas is going to play Georgia. Oklahoma is going to play Alabama. Yeah. I mean, you the split. It's like they, kind of that, went, they had like a draft. Okay, you uh-huh. get this one, you get this one. You get That's this right. one, you get this one. That's right. Here's Alabama's schedule. They're going to play Auburn, 
Georgia, Missouri, South Carolina, LSU, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Vanderbilt. I don't think Nick Saban's probably very happy about that <laughs> schedule. What well, I mean, you saw everything that came out, I think, last week, right? Like the the SEC basically dumbed down their schedule by a game. They they allowed right. by not playing nine games. That's right. right. They're, they're keeping this eight game format. So I just think that stinks, by the way. I don't know if you got if you talked about that prior, but that just stinks to me because, you know, you already have the, the SEC already has an FCS opponent every year that they just wax. Right. And so when you take off another SEC opponent, to me, that feels like now you have two games that are really just track meets for you. You're just putting yeah. them on the schedule and guaranteeing yourself a win. School's looking at this because, you know, here's what Georgia's going to play next year. Auburn, Florida, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, Ole Miss, Texas. You know, and this is the eight-game schedule. So there are no coaches who are going to get these eight-game schedules and go, yeah, we need to go to nine games, you know, <laughs> yeah. after this. They're, they're just – they're just not going to do it. Tennessee gets Alabama, Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Georgia, Oklahoma, Vanderbilt. So Tennessee has to play both Alabama and Georgia Oof. next season. And then Oklahoma and Does Tennessee Florida get LSU as well. Cause that would be uh, no, LSU. Uh, no LSU. If you got, if you have, if any SEC team has Georgia, Alabama, and LSU, that triangle of opponents. I feel bad for you. <laughs> Here's LSU's schedule. Alabama, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Vanderbilt. Those are the home games. At Arkansas, at Florida, out South, at South Carolina, at Texas A&M. I mean, that's not an easy schedule either. I, I, I'm sure you look across that conference, and there are not going to be too many easy slates <laughs> in the SEC. And again, yeah, that's why, every year, why nobody wants to go to nine. <laughs> Saban and Kirby Smart make it look pretty easy, but it mm -hmm. is it is not easy. Nope, not at all. Let's see how easy this is as we uh, pick another team's record for the upcoming season. It's Oregon today. They've got a Vegas over-under of nine and a half wins this season. Seems like every team we do has an over-under of nine and a half. <laughs> but uh, here we go. So here's, here's their schedule. Portland State, Texas Tech, Hawaii, Colorado. Those are all home games, by the way. Four home games in a row Ooh. against that slate. For Oregon to start off at Stanford, at Washington, Washington State, at Utah. So they play three of four on the road. Then they go Cal, USC, at Arizona State, Oregon State. So over under nine and a half wins for Oregon this season. You know, first, before we get in this, I just want to make the comment. I would love to be, you know, who I don't know how Oregon did it, but I would love to have eight home games and four <laughs> road games in one season. I feel like that's Seriously. like a, a very distinct advantage right, right off the yeah, right off the bat. <laughs> Let me see if I can find this real quick. <laughs> Make sure. Go ahead. But uh, if we're looking at, you know, I, the the way I like to do these with you is I like to go opponent by opponent. Sure. And then we Let's just kind of, you know, say what we think, win or loss. I think it's pretty Portland State, first and foremost, is an easy one. That's a that's a win right off the that's bat. That's a win. Texas Tech I have as a win. It's a win. Hawaii I have as a win. It's a win. Colorado I have as a win. So win. We, we, we're, we're started, you know, four home games, four wins, and then you go at Stanford. That's a win for me as well. I think so, too. And then I think they pick up their first loss in their first true road uh, match at Washington.
Yeah, I think so too. I, I think the you know the question Those are is evenly between, matched teams. Right. Between Oregon and Washington, one of those two teams is going to come out, you know, at least 10 wins and the yes. other is going to be. I think it'll largely due under. to that game. Right. Right. Exactly. And I'm looking here. Actually, I was saying they go to Texas Tech. So they don't start off with four at home. They go to Texas Tech. Ah, okay. Let me make sure everything else. Yeah, everything else matches up. So it's only. Still it's seven and Texas five. Tech it's not game. six and six. They still get one more extra home game compared to road games. So right, right. Uh, all right. So at Washington is a loss. So at this point, I have them one, two, three, four, five, and they six, lost, five. They and lost one. that one by a field goal last year. By the okay. way, okay. At home, I'm assuming. Too. At home, yeah, that's right. So at Washington State, I have them recovering and beating them. Go win. Utah is a toss-up, and I'll explain later. Yeah, that's, that was a I close think, one. They won that one by a field goal last year. So you want to so save that for the end? Yes, that's a that's okay. a win or loss for me. Right. Um, Cal is a definite win. W. Uh, USC is a definite loss. Agree. And then at Arizona State is a definite win. Yeah, Arizona State, by the way, with an over-under of four and a half for the Ooh. fighting Drew Pines. So, mm -hmm. and then Oregon State is another toss-up to me. So this is where, so, so they they definitely have two uh, losses, and they are definitely at eight wins. They're at eight and two, and I think between Utah and Oregon State, they split those two. That's why I wanted to hold it till the end. And so I think I don't think they win both of those. I don't think they lose both of those. They split and go nine and three. So my under, or sorry, nine and a half wins. I'm gonna have to take the under because I think they split between Oregon State and Utah. I agree with that. I like the way that you break it all down like that because I, I absolutely agree. I think that those two are probably toss ups, and based on what we have so far, like they didn't have to play USC last year. They remember they got blown out by Georgia to start the season, but then they ripped ripped off. Eight straight wins. Their best win in that stretch was over UCLA, which had made it to the top 10 at that point. But then they lose to Washington. They lose to Oregon State, lost two of their last three at the end of the uh, regular season. Utah, though, was one of the wins. And I just think because the Pac-12 has, it's like they've got the teams that that are going to make them the most money, and they've got them all playing each other this year. They've got <laughs> Washington, Oregon, USC, UCLA, and Utah basically all playing each other this year. And I just don't think there's any way that a team like Oregon is going to be able to survive a gauntlet like that. And I agree. I think that they, that they end up 9-3 and three this season. Very nice. Some might say great minds think alike. <laughs> That's right. All right. Last question tonight. Oakland A's fans staged a protest during the A's home game at the Coliseum this week. They stood silent for the first batter of the fifth inning, and then they broke into a chant of sell the team that was so loud. The Oakland pitcher, you know, they've got like the, the he, he had to call timeout because he couldn't hear the you know the the pitch call they were trying to call through his earpiece. He wasn't sure if the earpiece was broken. It was so loud. So this is part of the fan base's 11th hour attempt to keep the A's from moving to Vegas. What do you think about what's going on out there in Oakland right now? 
Huh. So here's the situation with what I got with my feelings in Oakland. Back in the day, and this is this is from my understanding. I've been listening. I've been I, I watch a lot of baseball games, and a lot of broadcasters, especially this past week, have been talking about you know what's going on um, in Oakland, and specifically, I, I watch a lot of Cubs games. Um, so Marquee Network is Book Shiambi, um, and recently they've been doing a lot of Joe Joe Torre. Uh, he he's actually been on the Marquee Network a lot, and he's been doing games with Book Shiambi. And Boog was asking him, you know, back in the day, what was your experience with, you know, playing in Oakland? Is it like, is it comparable to what's going on now? And he basically said, you know, I used to love playing in the back in, you know, back in the day in Oakland. It was one of my favorite places to go. The fans have, you know, were always supportive, et cetera, et cetera. I think what's going on there is a complicated situation. I think that the fan base itself has declined and I understand wanting to move. I think also ownership and management has let that stadium crumble to something that is not playable. And I think that's a disservice to the fans. So I think both of those kind of go um, against each other. And I ultimately feel bad for the fans too, because this is now two sports franchises that are going to be leaving the first being mm-hmm. the golden state warriors and now the Oakland A's. But at the same time, I don't feel bad because Oakland has proven that is not is no longer a market that professional sports teams can sustain. And when you're in the business of running a professional sports team, you're going to move your nice new stadium to a place that is going to generate a lot more money. And you know the fans are going to come no matter what. And that's not proven in Oakland. And so while it sucks for the fans, it just it's a it's a business. And I think in a business term, it makes a lot more sense to build a brand new nice stadium in Vegas because look at all these new stadiums that are going up in Vegas and doing well. The Raiders' new stadium. Uh, the the Golden Knights, you know, the hockey right, the that, that just won the Stanley Cup. I mean, yep. everything is shown that it is proven to work in Vegas. And, you know, no matter how vanilla it is and how basic and easy it is to say, hey, we're just going to drop another team in Vegas, it's working. The business model is working. It's and a so popular it market for a reason. Exactly. Yep. It sucks for the fans. But if you were really concerned the last 30 years, you wouldn't have letting it get to this situation. I think. Well, but at the same time, I still think there's more on not even the ownership. It's it, it's run like a bargain basement team, but it's a small market. You know, like they they dropped radio broadcasts, I think, for a little bit a, a few years ago or, you know, they tried to anyway. It's like it's it's a very tough market to be in. But the biggest issue from an ownership standpoint is the stadium and they've been trying for years to get a new stadium out there in Oakland, but they can't get the public funds, you know, like the tax money. They're, they're, they're not able to, to get any of that, no matter how much they've tried, you know, they've looked at different parts, you know, like going South down toward San Jose and, and that area, but they're going to get the public funds in Las Vegas. It's what, what it's going to come down to. They're not going to get as much public funds in Vegas as they thought they were going to get, but they're going to get it. And if if you can get over three hundred and fifty million bucks, I think it is, you know, to in public money to to move to another city rather than have to shell out potentially a billion dollars on your own as an ownership group. Of course, you're going to do it. You know, there's some there's some fan apathy, I'm sure. But at the you know, I, I think the biggest issue facing Oakland is just that they've wanted for years and years and years to get some help to build a new stadium. And they've just never been able to get the help to do it. And so what other choice do you have? Because of what you said, it's like, 
Las Vegas is prospering right now with pro sports cities. And that's it, it just really doesn't seem like there's another option for the A's if they want to stay alive. Yeah. And that's a good point. I think if if the if the if the team wants to, you know, not essentially die out, they gotta find a spot where they can prosper and, and grow essentially. They can't keep declining or, yep. or staying at the rate that they're at. And I think no matter what in Vegas. They know people are always in Vegas. Even if you're not an A's fan, yeah. people are going to come just as tourists. People are going to use it as business opportunities to take clients. Yep. You know, there's just so many more opportunities to go to a baseball game in Vegas than there is in Oakland. I See, think that's ultimately the driving factor. You know, and again, it's a, it's just a, it's a endless catch 22, like from the ownership standpoint, because if the owners, you know, like, you know, I talked about their their bargain basement, and we all know about Billy Bean and you know the the origins of Moneyball and all that kind of stuff. But like, if if you have a, a stadium with better luxury suites and amenities and all those different kind of things, you have more money. And theoretically, then if you're generating more money from those kind of things, you know, the corporate dollars and all that kind of stuff, then you're able to actually go out and and, and spend more money. They can't do it in Oakland. The hope, obviously, from their perspective is that they can do it in Las Vegas. It just sucks from a fan standpoint because it's not just the Raiders and the A's that they've lost. You know, the Warriors only moved across the Bay, but they're in San Francisco now. They yeah. used to be right there as well. They've lost all three. And it's yep. it's very unfortunate for the fans. But I mean, like we all know, last night I was watching it, you know, again, Bukshiambi, Joe Torre just brought up a good point. You, you, no matter the, the players and personnel, yes, it's a game to them and they take the game very seriously, but the game is produced to a market. It's a business. And that's right. why they had to make all these rule changes is because you can play the game, but if no one is watching, then what does it matter? You know, if no one's coming to games and it's not exciting, what does it matter? And so like, that's why you saw a lot of these rule changes and that's ultimately what's going to take the A's from Oakland to Vegas. It's a business and you got to be able to generate revenue. Yep. Just good stuff tonight. Enjoy your night. We will talk to you tomorrow when Vince and you and I are all in here. Thanks for joining us this evening. Hit the like button on your way out. And of course, you know what to do. Subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks to Notre Dame men's lacrosse coach Kevin Corrigan, who joined us earlier to talk national championship. Don't forget Micah Shrewsbury coming up next week. But if you didn't hear Coach Corrigan tonight, you can find it on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, Neil Ivey was on with us last week as well, and you can find that there as well. Jess, talk to you tomorrow. See Aviation you. Sports Talk.
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.